What's up, everybody? Welcome in to another edition of the Canes Insight Podcast, brought to you by Canes Wear here at the FRM Studios. I'm your host, Peter Rees, alongside D-Money. Canes coming off a 30-7 to win over Southern Miss, but of course, Texas A&M week. So I know everyone's excited about that. Southern Miss, D, uh, you know, slow start against them. Came out strong in the second half. You know, what were your overall thoughts from that one? First half was ugly, man. I was not pleasant to be around. Um, it was really feeling like the Central Michigan game from 2019, Manny's first year. That was kind of the vibe mm-hmm. I was getting in that first half. Really very much like an Enos offense. You know, dig and dunk, but you, you're a tip pass on third down or a penalty and the drive dives. You know, a lot of completions, but not a lot of movement. Not getting the push up front that you wanted to see. Um, it really felt like that game. I was getting flashbacks to it in that first half. Uh, second half was obviously a much different story, which we needed. It was going to be a very long week of listening to Canes fans complain uh, if that wouldn't have changed. So a good response, but man, um, scary first half. And best I could say about it is no one got hurt in the game. Um, so, you know, all bets are off for this week. No one's going to care about what happened in Southern Miss, 37, whatever. This is the game that matters, and uh, it's going to tell us a lot, man, more than it probably should. Yeah, I, I, I think it's funny, too. I think Canes fans are probably a little more grateful uh, with that, the way that the game ended after seeing what happened around college football, uh, you know, last Saturday with Notre Dame and obviously with A&M uh, losing to App State. So, you know, like we said, a little bit of a lackluster start, but got the job done, and, you know, it's A&M week, so... I was looking back before we, you know, got here to record, and this game was announced in 2016, November 29th, 2016. So this was Mark Rick's first year. I think they went to what the uh, the Champ Sports. I don't know what it was called, yep. but the game against West Virginia, right at the end of the season. And Kevin Sumlin was still the head coach at A and M. So completely different time. Fast forward now six years and. Both of these programs are in, you know, I think A&M fans are probably still a little upset about last week, but, you know, the trajectory of both programs still looking in the right direction. Financially, for sure. And you would think that the success would follow, but hasn't happened yet for Texas A&M. It's not an automatic to happen for Miami. They got to win games like this one. So this is huge. I mean, I hate to say must win, but with Florida beating Utah, with Florida State beating LSU, with what happened to Texas A&M last week, with just the general distrust of Canes fans of these road games, I think it's as close to a must-win as you could have this early in the season for an out-of-conference game. I really do. It's, it'll change the whole mood, the whole belief system of, of Canes fans because they're expecting to lose. Obviously, the odds makers think Miami's going to lose. Um, no, no one's going to believe Miami can win these kind of games until Miami actually wins them. Road game, out-of-conference. So... This, to me, is a hugely important game. I'm hopeful. When I was driving in here today, I saw a double rainbow. You know, I looked it up. It's a sign of, of hope in Eastern culture, so I'm feeling very hopeful that things are going to turn around. But, you know, I hate how much pressure is on this game. I really do, because if you lose this one, the tone of the program, which has been so positive since you hired Cristobal, is going to be Flips. negative immediately. Yeah. And it's going to be hard to replicate it because then they're going to feel, all right, we'll win a couple games in the ACC, we'll lose you know, the next big game. It's just they got to win this one for so many reasons beyond just 
the win loss record. Yeah, I was talking to a, a buddy of mine a couple of days ago, and you know he was complaining about how the first couple of games have gone. And I said, look, I, people know I've, I've always been quick to to criticize or or praise, right? But I, my criticize or praise I, starts after this weekend, right. right? So I think that's kind of the mentality around everyone. And I think that goes to your point. It's like, yeah, things in the recruiting side and and, and just in the overall buzz around the program could you know, shoot through the roof with a win, but obviously on, on the other side of it could go the other way. And we know how volatile things, things can get. So um, hopefully, obviously for the Canes sake, it, that, that doesn't happen, but just getting into the general matchup, right? I think the narrative for most of the off season has been, well, A&M has recruited really well in the trenches Obviously, Mario wants to get Miami to that point. We think that the defensive line has some guys, but I think we're still waiting for them to really uh, emerge and see it now against a team who has, you know, hypothetically the guys on the other side. After you've seen the first couple games for each team, right, how is that narrative, you know, looking to play out this weekend? I hate that Appalachian State dominated so much up front. Because you know these are going to be highly motivated, blue-chip, big, explosive players for Texas A&M. They're going to play their best game because they're going to be called soft all week. They have been called soft all right. week. So you're going to get the best version of them uh, coming to that game. So, yeah, that, that narratively tested the offensive line for Miami. Did not do a very good job communication-wise, particularly in the first half last week. You go back and look at those sacks and the pressure the TVD was facing. It, it wasn't guys getting beat one-on-one, really, aside from maybe one time Ja'Kai Clark got beat. I think uh, Oluwasin, the the guard, got beat once. But really a lot of it was communication issues, just timing. You know, the the, the blitz pickup was, was just – it just wasn't sharp, um, which, you know, that's at home against Southern Miss. I understand that they bring a lot of different kind of blitzes. Mario mentioned that they were a little bit surprised by some of the things they did. But they're not as fast, not as athletic, not as charged up as a Texas A&M team at night at home you know, motivated right. off a loss is going to be. So the offensive line needs to perform a lot better than it did in the first half last week. It needs to play really its best game. And if you look at it, you know, Zion Nelson started his career at Florida, which is now, you know, four years ago, right? Right. Uh, John Campbell, same thing. Ja'Kai Clark, I think, played in that game or played shortly thereafter. So these are guys that have been around, played a lot of big games. So if you want to show how far you've come, and you want to show what this is it? What, yeah, what Mirabal's done. Sca- DJ Scape's played a ton of football. DJ Scape, exactly. Uh, these guys have played huge games, lost huge games like this. Uh, if they're going to perform on the highest level, this is the time and this is the game. You flip to the other side of the ball for Miami. The defensive line is a group that we talked about a ton right before the season. They've shown flashes. I, I think last game you see a Leonard Taylor have a couple back to back plays. Uh, Lichtenstein gets a sack, uh, but I don't, you know, uh, Jackson has some, some good plays in the run game, right? But I don't know if there's been that, cons- and no, Mesador didn't play last week, right? We expect him to, to be a big part of, of what happens moving forward, but I don't know if there's been that consistency, you know, from the pass rush, uh, you know, spot, right? So is that, do you think some of that is just they haven't, uh, you know, really gotten too aggressive with the blitz schemes, or is this is this just you know ha- they're having some trouble beating the guy off the ball? Some of it, 
is what the other side is doing, knowing that they're going to get a rush. And these right. are teams without, you know, offensive guys, line, SEC so speak, quality right. offensive lines, right? So I think they've avoided it somewhat, and that's affected their offense without actually resulting in sacks. The biggest problem I see with this pass rush, and I think it's better than maybe people think as far as, you know, it's not like they're just getting stonewalled out there. There was right. pressure last week. But you have a lot of guys that are very long, explosive, but they maybe aren't the most coordinated and flexible guys. You're talking about a Mitchell Lagude, a Chance Williams, uh, even a Jafari Harvey. Those are guys that will get to the quarterback, but they won't necessarily break down, finish, finish the play, get right. the guy down to the ground. And, you know, is that mental? I think it might be just a little bit physical. Um, the guys that have that sort of flexibility, that fluidity to finish the play, you mentioned Leonard Taylor. We did it last week. I think he's going to be a major guy this week. You see uh, Nigel Lee Kelly get, get involved a little bit last week as well. Nigel Lee Kelly, someone who has that ability, got a sack last week. But, of course, a true freshman on the road, SEC. You might not want to see him this week. But he's a guy that has that. A Harrison Hunt. Harrison Hunt. And then the biggest one is Mesador. All right. So Mesador, you look at him, he's not going to blow you away. It's not like he, he looks like Mitchell Lagude body-wise. He's not going to beat a Mitchell Lagude in a race. But he just has that knack. To, for using his body in an efficient manner to not only beat his guy, use his great hands, but then also once he gets to the quarterback to break down and finish, which Agude, he had pressure last week. He hit the quarterback a few times, but you want to see him finish with sacks. This would be an amazing week to do it. He had a sack against LSU last year, which was a, he had a very good game overall, uh, SEC opponent when he was at UCLA. This game is going to be a game scouts are going to be watching. Great opportunity for Agude to just show, you know, yeah, you know, I look like a star, I'm fast, I play hard, but I also can get the quarterback down, and this would be a perfect week to do that. A lot of the talk this week um, for A&M has been obviously the quarterback position, right? Haynes King has started the first couple games, started the first couple games for them last year, was a big recruit coming out of high school, um, but he struggled in the vertical passing game the first, the first couple games of the season. Obviously, they lost last week. And now Max Johnson, obviously the, the, the kid they bring in from, from LSU, uh, Coach Rick's nephew, right? Yep. So um, do you think that what's going on is there's a legit shot that A&M starts Johnson or is it Jimbo, you know, mind games, so to speak? I think there's a shot or it's an early, you know, it's an early trigger and they pull, they pull him if he, if he starts slow. Also, I think Connor Wigman, I don't know if yeah. that's his name, the, the freshman mm-hmm. got some snaps as well. Not a good situation. He said everything's – Jimbo did say everything's on the table, so. Not a good situation for Texas right. A&M. But we've seen, unfortunately, at Miami, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of fans have P- PTSD about this, is backup quarterback or, or struggling quarterback finds his footing against Miami, right? right? So that needs to end. That cannot happen in this game. You have to – really had this guy have a crisis of confidence, whoever the person who plays, whether it's, it's uh, Haynes King or, or Max Johnson or whoever, you know, you need to take their confidence, turn all the energy in the stadium into negative energy towards the quarterback. And the way to do that will be pass rush. Like you mentioned, uh, tackling to limit the big plays, which we'll talk about more and quarterback play, which has been an issue for Miami, particularly that, that second quarterback spot. Right. So, now that we're on, you know, the defense for Miami, the skill position guys for AM, that's definitely, you know, one of their strengths, right? So you have an A-chain in the backfield who obviously I think everyone saw uh, the return that he had uh, last week, and he has world-class speed, um, you know, outside of him, Anaya Smith at the receiver spot. 
and then talking to someone at A&M before the season, the guy that they're really excited about is Evan Stewart, the freshman number one who last week, you know, you see how explosive he is with the ball in his hands, but also got a little loosey-goosey with it. That's what you're going to get right with with one of those, you know, five-star freshmen early in the season. Um, so he's he's another guy that I know they're excited about. It. They get the ball to him in space. Yo, Keith Brown, a guy from from Miami, Coach Duasso, uh, has been talking about him for, for the longest. He had a touchdown in their first game. So they have playmakers on the outside. How concerned are you? about those guys getting in space. The tackling is something that, you know, a lot of people have noted in the first couple games. I think it was it was pretty solid in the second half last week, but you know, in the first game especially people were a little bit concerned with how, how would you how would you kind of look at that matchup uh, for Miami? Yeah, and this is one of the, to me the key the key of the game. Right. And we'll go through the keys of the game later, but this to me is the key and we'll just jump right into it. My, Texas A&M does not have a good offense. They do not have an explosive offense. That's been their problem since Jimbo's been there. Even when they've had better teams, their offense has never been explosive. It is their biggest flaw. Problem with Miami too. But with Texas A&M, that's their biggest problem. And their quarterback hasn't played well. So all good things for Miami's defense. The concern is the guys you mentioned, especially Stewart, who to me looks like a future star, they all have track speed. I'm talking about in the tens, whether it's a chain, uh, Ania Smith, um, Brown, Yolkeith Brown, or Stewart. I believe they're all in the tens on the hundred meters. Some of them in the very low tens. Right. They're at home. One play from one of those guys will electrify the crowd. I think back to Kadarius. One missed tackle, right? I think back to Kadarius Tony in 2019 for the Gators. Yeah, in Orlando. You know, they had one playmaker that really hurt us, and he hurt us. They need to be. They meaning Miami need to be sound. It's coach speak, whatever. With this game in particular, limit the missed tackles, especially on these guys. Fly to the ball so if one guy misses a tackle, you have backup. And don't blow assignments. Because their offense is not good enough to beat you if you're doing the right but things. Their, but their playmakers are good enough to win one-on-one. They are, but... They really are dangerous if you make mistakes and you don't, you're not there, meaning you blow something or you're just not tackling well and not running to the ball. And if you get a 70-yard touchdown from a Smith or an A-chain or whoever, a Stewart, who everybody's excited about, that's how you electrify the home crowd. And that's what you really need to avoid. So to me, that's... I had that as the number one key to the game is explosive plays. Obviously, Miami needs to make them. We could talk about that. Yeah. But they need to limit explosive plays from Texas A&M, and it's really going to come down to just being sound because this is not an Oklahoma offense or an Alabama offense where they're going to scheme it up perfectly and get the guy in a position to make a play even if you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. They're going to live off mistakes, and if you make a mistake, they can take it the distance. So you, you just, I mean, kind of let us into it, but – Offensively for Miami, you talked about the explosive plays. First two games of the year, you know there hasn't been uh, too much downfield. Everyone was excited about the the flea flicker touchdown. That was a great play. Obviously, great throw, uh, great catch by Keyshawn Smith, who you know we talked about it before the year. He was the guy who was you know the most productive you know returning guy along with with a Restrepo, right? And um, he's kind of emerged as a, as a guy as a playmaker for them in the first few games. For Miami offensively, 
the I don't even want to call them struggles, right? Because for for Van Dyke, right? I think everyone's that's something people are just kind of uh, you know overreacting to it. At, at yeah, this we've point. seen quarterback struggles. This here. is not. This it's is not, not yeah. that. It's not that, right? So. Um, Looking at the offensive side of the ball, though, what's the what's the key? We want to talk about the keys of the game. That's you know, let's talk about the offensive ones. Well, we talked about explosive plays. So who's going to step up at receiver? And I'm looking at guys like a Keyshawn Smith, like guys with this. Which, who's going to make the the huge play? A Jacoby George. Uh, that that's the name. Obviously, he's been suspended. With those kind, those things are always tricky. But you need him. In my opinion, he's probably, I would say Romello Brinson is probably the most talented just from a length twitch perspective. He has some physicality after the catch. But in terms of just overall natural receiver, the most natural receiver to me is George. Right. He's, he can change uh, speeds. He's very good in and out of his breaks. He has huge hands. He can high point it. He can win one-on-one. He's made plays in the scrimmages, but off the field has hurt him. Is this going to be the game that gets him on track? You hate that he gets thrown right in the mix, but... He's a guy to watch. They they have a need for a big play guy downfield, and I think he he could provide that for them. A couple guys who I thought uh, had solid performances last game: Brashard Smith and Michael Redding. Um, Redding, a guy who I think is is slowly becoming one of my favorites as a reliable target, tough you know tough guy downfield across the middle. Um, I think he's a guy who, who, as you would say, is that he makes winning plays, right? Um, and Brashard Smith, an, another guy who Crystal Ball has kind of, you know, singled out a few times uh, positively in press conferences throughout throughout fall camp, um, and I think we saw that la- last week. Yeah, starting with Redding, who I agree is one of my favorite guys too. I just I love players that work like that. You don't have to worry about them. You know, it's, we're talking about George here. If you put Redding's brain and George's body, we wouldn't be talking about wide receiver one. I mean, that's just the re- that's just the reality of the situation. Um, now these are kids; they 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 develop at different stages, they mature at different stages. So I'm not trying to write anybody off, but Redding is an example of somebody who works. He was he was famous at IMG. His coach said, "I've never had a guy that worked like this." He was playing special teams there, and he's carried that over. He's not high the football most, IQ, from what I've heard. Does everything. You look at him, I mean, everybody comments on his running style, kind of runs like Forrest Gump, kind of just a very unusual running style. But he's, he is fast, he's big, and he, he's explosive. He jumped 40 inches in high school. So one thing he did in high school a lot is, especially when the, in the camp settings, he was pretty good at contested catches where he'd make these like spectacular circus catches. And he's not like a basketball player that goes up and high points it. Right. It's kind of weird how he moves. He just has weird movement, but he would come down with it against good defensive backs. So... He's someone that you might see in a one-on-one situation, and you hope that he can make that play. Um, Brashard Smith, another one you mentioned, great game last week. I think he's an ascending kind of guy. And knowing Gaddis, he has something for, for Brashard Smith. At least, at least, you know, you saw last year, this was Lashley, but the play, again, the, the wheel route against uh, Virginia Tech. Right. Gaddis has something for, for Brashard Smith. I can promise you that. And he's going to be a key key guy and he's kind of like those guys we talked about at texas a&m where you know if he miss, if there's a bust or if someone misses a tackle and this guy's capable of breaking him he can go all the way as well so if you're looking for explosive plays he's someone that i'd really watch closely from the miami side at the running back spot parish with another 100 yard game um i think we're going to see a good amount of those this year from him um 
and obviously Thad Franklin continues to get to get carries, and we expect to see a ton of him uh, this weekend as well. Uh, but a Jalen Knighton, I would expect him to kind of come into the forefront a little bit more into the game plan this week. Absolutely, and with with Parrish and, and Franklin, in my opinion, those are the two best pure running backs on the roster as far as just being actual running backs, vision, balance, footwork, positive yardage every time. They're to me the most natural backs, but you're lacking an explosive. Well, element. I'll tell you right now, from an NFL perspective, right, Knighton is probably the guy who's the mo- who's the, the best offensive weapon on the team right and now. And from our perspective, I mean, he was look at the last year; he was our best offensive weapon. I'm, I'm just saying. I, I mean, more from the bu- you know the buzz you hear. Right, and look, he's the best offensive skill player on this team, probably. Right. So, but I'm, what I mean is, those two are the most natural backs. But their biggest weakness is they'll get you those. 5 to 15 yard gains, they're not going to get you the 50 yard touchdown. It's not part of their their game. They don't have that speed. Uh Cheney and Citizen, who you know Cheney I don't think is as natural as the other two Citizen we didn't know cuz he was a freshman, but you know those guys are explosive. They have documented athleticism and speed that you don't have with Parrish and Franklin. They're out of the picture obviously due to injury. So where are you going to get that explosiveness in the running game when you need explosive plays? And I think you alluded to it which is Jalen Knighton and maybe not necessarily running the ball, but like he did against FSU, North Carolina, Louisville, in the passing game, you want to see him get opportunities. And I'm sure Gad has had, like just same with Brashard Smith, he's been thinking all offseason, how am I going to use this guy? How am I going to use a night? And he likes guys like that. He used guys like that at Michigan quite a bit to generate explosive plays, even without the great outside receivers. You know, Gaddis led, people don't realize this, because they see, they hear Michigan, they say, all right, you know, ground and pound offense. Now we've got a ground and pound offense. Michigan led the nation in 50-plus yard plays last year. That's, why, that's one of the reasons why Gaddis won the offensive assistant or the assistant coach of the year award. So is he going to manufacture those big 50-plus yard plays with a guy like Knighton or Burchard Smith? Because they're two of the guys that can do it. Last thing here before we get into questions to finish up. The offensive line, you know, that's obviously going to be a huge part of this game for Miami. You see a Zion Nelson last week. You see a, a John Campbell play some left tackle. Um, I, I'm not going to ask you what you think the the, the layout of the, of the you know the lineup's going to be, but how many guys do you see playing this weekend on the line? Six, six for sure. I think you'll definitely see an S. Cooper. Um, just like he's, you saw that big guy with the 37 jersey, uh, I think you'll see him. Yeah, you mentioned him. Uh, we talked about times, him. Yeah. I think on the first podcast we mentioned him. Um, he's been doing it in camp since the beginning, um, and he's doing the right things off the field as well. So you'll see him. You could see, you know, seven guys potentially. Um, how it's structured, you know, you never know. There's different. There's different formulations. Sometimes you see who, how it's going. Um, one lineup I liked was when you had Zion at, at right tackle, Campbell at left, uh, Delon Scaife at right guard. Because mm-hmm. that way, you know, with Campbell, he's played well at left tackle. You don't want to necessarily use him in other spots because he's not as, I don't want to say as smart because I don't know as smart, but he's not as experienced as a Scaife or a The or coaches, a you know, we mentioned in the, in the preseason podcast, I think, that they were really excited about his progress, uh, you know, coming into this camp. Right. So you don't want to take his progress and then move him somewhere else. 
you know, and uh, you know, again, it's not necessarily it's about experience. You're trying to get the best lineup out there too, right? It's right. not saying he's the you know the best. Jalen Rivers might be the best left you know yeah, left tackle for, for Miami, but if that's you know if he's if that's not going to be the best you know lineup combination, I think that's where they're still trying to you know find find the pieces of the puzzle. Right, and to me, the guys that I move are the trustworthy guys, the guys that have played the most, which would be Scaife, which would be Nelson. So to me, and again, this is not based on any information, but what I would, the lineup I would go with is Campbell left, Rivers left guard, Ja'Kai Clark center, right guard Scaife, right tackle Nelson. You have new positions for Scaife, although he played it last year, a totally new position for Zion. I don't think he's ever played right tackle in Miami, but those are veteran guys. You trust them to make it happen, and then the left side and the center is the same. So that would right. be that would be to me the best five, and then you use Ines Cooper as a as a ta- as a tight end when necessary. So I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. That is what I would do if I were uh, Coach Mirabal. All right. When we come back, we will wrap it up with our question segment. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Canes were still the number one spot for all your. Canes needs, your South Florida sports teams needs, they got it all. They got the new Miami Knights jerseys coming in, all kinds of new gear coming in, uh, the new Adidas Ultra Boost, everything you need to get ready for this season. You know, you've been working hard. Christmas is still a long way away. You got some money saved up. Blow it now. Buy some stuff. Get ready for the season. Look right. Everybody else is investing. Invest in yourself. Invest in your wardrobe. Look, no more of these old Ugly shirts from the 2014, 2016 when we lost a lot. New era, new gear, same old Canes wear. The best in the business for South Florida sports. Welcome back into the show, D. Let's get right into the questions uh, submitted from the fans. As always, you can send these in on social media, on Twitter. Working on getting the Instagram uh, back and running soon, so you guys can get us there soon. Obviously, on YouTube and on Kane's Insight, I know you you send out the link every week. Um, so let's start with. Oh, this. I like and subscribe. By the way, I, I gotta start saying that. Yeah, he's he's YouTube been on me to, to say that. Yeah, I, yeah, I haven't uh, fully Don't forget converted. to like and subscribe for enjoying the podcast. Helps us out. So question number one here from Hurricane Ace 07. Most important position slash player on the defense and offense heading into the AN game. Offense obviously going to be TVD. He's the most important player pretty much every time he steps on the field, but a game like this on the road where he is our best player by far and uh, our biggest advantage in the game when you compare position to position. So, you know, you don't need me to tell you that he's the most important player on defense. I would say it is whoever our second corner is. Um, it is that was a huge position for us in the Southern Miss game in a negative fashion. And, you know, no matter what happens, whether it's every group chat I'm in, every time I see somebody, talk to somebody, the first thing I hear is DJ Ivy, DJ Ivy. Literally no matter where I'm at uh, in any context when it comes to Canes. And look, I am, a, I am a realist. I see the same games. I go to sleep at night scared about that second cornerback position after seeing how they were victimized in the last game. DJ Ivy was targeted. Daryl Porter came in and got Moss. And listen, we we did say last week that that Brown Lee was a guy for Southern Miss. You were all over it, but whoever was at that second corner spot was the one picked on, no matter who was there. It was Ivy, then Porter got Moss, and Malik Curtis got burned for the touchdown. So that's a position that scares me. And obviously, Ivy has not translated again the practice performance yet. 
Um, but, you know, hearing it so much, it gets me frustrated because it's like people are like, are you, are you biased towards DJ Ivy? And the truth is, yes, I am very much biased towards DJ Ivy. I am biased towards somebody who overcame a very difficult situation to be a almost 4.0 student in high school who goes to Miami and he's played, you know, 40 something games for the Canes and did not transfer even though the opportunity to, who's never popped off on social media despite everything. Been a model guy off the field, just did a back to school, you know, giveaway uh, for kids in Florida City. This guy has people telling him to kill himself on social media. And do you see him making cryptic, stupid posts at everybody? He's just doing what he's doing. So yes, I am biased towards him. I am realistic at what the position is and the, that that is our weakness. And that's where they're going to be targeting on Saturday. But I am biased towards him. And I hope that the tackling that we saw in the second half to start the game is what we see right. against Texas A&M. I hope that the, the play that he really was about to break up on the sideline, and the guy made a spectacular catch, he finishes that play. The interception that he had right in his hands is caught. I hope these things happen, and I am rooting probably harder than anything in the world for those things to happen. If Kevin Steele wants to put someone else on the field, I definitely trust Kevin Steele. If he wants to put Ivy on the field, I trust Kevin Steele. He's been around the block. But that's the key position on defense, no question. And I am personally rooting for whoever's at that spot to do well and to you know shut up a lot of people. Well said. Um, this next one from Uncle Cliff at Cliff311. What are your two or three keys to the game? So we already talked about being sound on defense and not allowing an explosive play because of just poor tackling or- Keeping a, things or, in front of them. Right, or, or blowing assignment. Right. Don't let one of those guys electrify the crowd with a game-breaking play. That did not have to happen. So that to me is- the, the first key. Um, second key, I would say, is beating the blitz. Uh, when you talk about Texas A&M, they, they blitzed over 60% on third down last week. They are going to come after TVD. Southern Miss, you saw their, their blitzes got home, especially in the first half. There were communication issues on Miami's offensive line. They're seeing that on film, and they're saying, we are going to blitz this offensive line and this quarterback. So expect to see that from Texas A&M. At least I expect to see that from DJ Durkin. And, you know, uh, you look at the Clemson game two years ago where De'Ara King went up there. They basically said, you're not going to beat us with Pope and Wiggins, so we're going to just play man and dare you to to beat us deep with these guys. We think our corners are better. They were. That's what happened in that. That was a story of that game. We couldn't beat those guys outside. Texas A&M is going to do the same thing. I think they're probably going to play man coverage outside a lot on these receivers with their good, very high-quality defensive backs at Texas A&M, mm-hmm. and then blitz TVD, which we could not stop against Southern Miss. That would be my game plan. Now, if you're playing man and you're blitzing like that, TVD does have the ability with his strength and his quickness. He's a 4-2-8 shuttle guy. He can step up and make a quick move in the pocket and get past the rush. And if he does that and they're playing man and their backs are to him, there's yards to be gained as right. a runner. We haven't seen that yet. I thought we might see that based on some of the comments he made, some of the things he did in practice. I thought we might see more TVD running. We haven't seen that yet. But if Texas A&M plays that way and he gets those opportunities, that's another way he can, he can hurt the blitz. But obviously it's going to have to be with his mind, with his arm, with great communication up front, and then wide receivers making plays when they have the opportunity. Uh, the third key, I would say, to the Texas A&M game is a fast start because – the energy in this stadium is going to be very interesting. They just lost to App State. There's a quarterback controversy. People are feeling pretty bad about the program. I have been in those stadiums as of Things you. could turn quick. That home field I've advantage. I've been in those stadiums. I've it, been part of it. Yeah, exactly. That home field advantage turns negative very fast when the energy is bad. 
right. you make a big play to Rashard Smith on the first drive, three and out, and then get a field goal or something. You know, go go up 10, 14, nothing or something like that early. It's going to get a lot. There's going to be a lot of chatter. There's going to be a lot of negative energy towards the quarterback, towards Jimbo, towards the offense. We want that. things will get tight, right? So the the start now. The flip side is again, you miss a tackle on a chain. He goes 80 yards. Place is going insane, or you know your second cornerback gets beat by Evan Stewart and he's dancing. Now quarterback flips right. So the start in this game is it's always big on the road, but to me the start in this game is absolutely essential. Last one here for you from Indy Art House. Was the philosophy behind the Gattis hire mismatch with UM given the skill talent in South Florida and the state of modern college football? You know, I think they just wanted to get a rising guy. That's really what I think was about. The guy who's the hottest name in the industry just won the, the Broyles Award, and they wanted to make it fit. Now, we talk about wide receiver talent. Wide receiver is the weakest position on the offense right now. That's not necessarily because of Gaddis. Now, I'm not defending. Gaddis's resume, you know, as far as at Miami, has not been written yet. We'll see what he does. So I'm not saying, I'm not trying to defend him or anything like that. That story is yet to be told. But it's not like Gaddis inherited an offense with great receivers and chose to build a different type of offense and ignore that talent. Right. He's using his tight ends on the field together a lot because his tight ends are probably two of his better players. Uh, he's trying to run the ball a lot because the running game has improved. And the wide receivers just have not been to that caliber yet. Um, so I don't think it's a philosophy issue with Gaddis. Remember, Gaddis was the guy that was at Alabama when they had Waddle, when they had um, Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, um, Henry Ruggs. So I'm sure he'd love to play like that if he had those four guys. Mm. And I can tell you for a fact that when Gaddis got here and really evaluated the team and started hitting the portal and hitting recruiting especially – his focus was on speed. Right. The Robbie Washingtons, the Nathaniel Josephs, those are his guys. That's what he wants on this team. That's what he thinks this team could use in recruiting, particularly. So I don't think Gaddis wants to build a plotting offense. He led the nation in 50 plus yard plays last year. He wants that, but the receiving talent on this Miami team is not Reggie Wayne and Santana Moss. That's just the reality. And hopefully that changes, and hopefully Gaddis. You know, he's getting paid a lot of money, brings out the best in what the talent he does have, which is some, you know, he has some talented, physically good dudes that he needs to extract more from with the quarterback he has. So I, I don't think it's a philosophical thing. It's a matter of Gaddis doing what he can with the talent he has. All right. What do you got for me? All right. I got a question from Skyman, one of our best and longest tenured posters. He wants to know, is this a prove-it, no-excuses type game for TBD? He gets a lot of love and mulligans from last year being young, but being a projected NFL talent, should we have expectations for TBD on the road? So from an NFL perspective, I'll, I'll answer this question from the NFL perspective because obviously you see these mock drafts and you know he's getting this first-round buzz, right? This is not a make-it-or-break-it uh, game. You know, If he goes out there and throws for 400 yards and five touchdowns, he's not cementing himself as a top-10 pick in the draft. On the flip side, if he goes out there and doesn't have the best game, it also is not going to drop him out of, of, of the equation, right? First of all, it's a weak you know, quarterback year, as I think we're already seeing through the first couple weeks of the season. But 
the scouts are going to take everything into perspective in terms of what he has around him, right? So, yes, does this game get weighted a little bit more? Uh, so, in that sense, is it a... I forget what the, the terminology he used in the question was. I don't think it was make it or break it. But um, is it is it kind of elevated in, in their eyes? Yes, there's more of a microscope on, on it, right? Because it's a road game. SEC, you expect, you know, the, the atmosphere to be, to be crazy and the talent level is is extremely high on the other side of the ball. But from the same perspective, as I've come on and said here the last you know few weeks, people in the NFL understand what he has around him right now is not necessarily all top-level NFL-type talent. It's going to take a couple years for, for them, hopefully. You know, hopefully it's it's uh, closer to one year than, than two or three years that, that they get, you know, th- that level of talent in there. But once, you know, once that's there, right, it, it, it'll obviously be a, a different, different ballgame for Miami. But from Van Dyke's perspective, right, and how they're going to evaluate him, they take all of that into account. So, no, this is not a, uh, this is not a game that's going to necessarily make his stock go crazy up or down. Um, now, if you're talking from a Miami fan perspective, right, that's a different discussion. And if that's what the question is going towards, I think, yes, probably it is, right, because you had so many close calls last year, right? A lot of those games, he willed Miami back into it, right? Um, but at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, the fans want to see the performance on the field, which is why we've already talked about too. If if they end up losing this game, right, we'll see how the the you know the noise around the program changes uh, in a negative perspective. Unfortunately, yeah, I mean from a UM fan perspective, I'm racking my brain to think of big road games that we've won. That, I, I w- I've been trying to think about. I it. would say you have to go all the way back to 2009. When Ja'Cory Harris, Florida State, yeah, which was yeah. A, that supercharged the program temporarily. People right. were Scott were super excited after that. I remember I was the goal line stand at the end of the game. Yeah, I was they at were, that game. The Blueprint Three had just come out. I remember listening to that all the way up and down. That was that was a great time. It felt like we were going somewhere. Right. Nationally, didn't happen, but the energy was totally different. Thirteen years before that, you got you got to go to the Marcus Vick game in two thousand five in Virginia Tech. And then before that, it's probably the Sean Taylor game with uh, with Brock Berlin in FSU, the rain. So, I mean, there have not been very many. Few and far between. I, you know, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, I'm missing something in the comments. Someone will say it, but I don't, I don't think so. So I mean, we're talking about games that really could be program trajectory. Yeah, change. they feel different. Games yeah. that felt different. I can tell you how I felt after that FSU game, both those FSU games, and after the Virginia Tech game, you felt like, all right, it's happening. Maybe the FSU game that they broke the streak, but I mean that was right. You know, yeah, FSU. My those games still are. are I mean that that was because of the ending was good, right. but I mean it's not like that was a powerhouse team that you beat. Definitely, um, no one was surprised by that. By that, I think we might have been. Favored I think that's that a good word. No one was surprised. Right, people will be surprised if we win this game. Certainly, Canes fans will be. I think just because so many years of getting beaten down, and obviously we're underdogs, so. I think for TVD to really cement himself with Miami fans, winning a game like this and, and really responding to, I don't want to say adversity because that was not the worst game I've seen against Southern Miss, although being their person, he missed a ton of reads. He, his ball placement was, was poor. He had Restrepo open um, 
would have been a huge gainer if he would have had proper placement, but he ended up bringing him to the ground. Um, wobbly balls just really wasn't playing that well. You know, the statue was good. But anyways, there was adversity there. People were kind of saying, all right, what's he, what can he do? Last time he had some adversity was that North Carolina State game, came back and had the game of his life, really put himself on the map. If he comes and plays at that level this week, he'll put himself in a whole different category nationally and with Canes fans. So uh, could not be a bigger game from a Canes fans perspective for TVD, even though from an NFL perspective, I understand it's, uh, it's different. I'm excited, man. I think, he's, I think he's got it. I think he's got it mentally. I think he's got the... Uh you know, the demeanor we've, we've talked about it time and time with him. It's sometimes can be viewed as a little, you know, robotic, but I mean, it's, that's what you need in these, in these games. And that's what the league wants that, you know, and that, that's, I think what you always kind of go back to with the quarterback position. So, um, it's one of his, I believe one of his greatest, you know, skill sets and, um, hopefully it's on display this weekend. So, Nine o'clock start. That's a little late. I don't know. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to take a take a nap during the day. But yeah, let's see what happens, Canes fans. I know we're excited about it, and uh, we'll catch you next week to re- to recap it. And if you see me on Texas A&M College Station, you'll be out there. I'll be wearing the Canes Inside shirt. Say hello. We gotta get some updated uh, merch. I think. Yeah. Any ideas? Put it in the comments. We'll we'll make it happen. We'll we'll do something. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it's, uh, man, we've been waiting a long time for this. We say 2016 when it got booked, right? 2016, November. I think the date I saw was November 29th, 2016. So, you know, I, Canes fans were excited about Ricked, right? Um, who who would have thought we'd be here six years later, right? So let's see what happens. Yes, sir. Go Canes. Go Canes.